Welcome to the Healthynomics Podcast, episode number 16 with Matt Fitzgerald. In this episode, we talk about exactly what is a diet cult, Matt's biggest surprises from writing and researching his latest book, Diet Cults, why diet cults such as paleo, Atkins, and vegan are good for some people, why the line of thinking approach to the paleo diet may be flawed, despite recent media propaganda, the truth on exercise as it fits into weight loss, why carbs should be the premium fuel choice for runners, Matt's thought on Dr. Timothy Noak's recent drastic change in approach regarding diet recommendations, and Matt's recommendations for healthy living. The show notes for this episode will be held at healthynomics.com slash 16. Head over there if you're interested in winning a copy of Matt's new book, Diet Cults. I'll be giving away two copies to anyone who leaves a comment in the blog. And lastly, before we get to the show, if you like this episode or any other episode of the Healthynomics podcast, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Five-star reviews go a long way in helping other listeners find the podcast. Thanks very much, and let's get to the interview. Welcome to the Healthy Nomics Podcast. Boosting your health and fitness IQ one episode at a time. And now your host, Mark Kennedy. Hi, Matt. Welcome and thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great. Um, I guess I had you previously on um, on the blog, um, not not a podcast format, but uh, I think it was last year, so uh, it's good to have you uh, back on the site. Um, I know you know everyone uh, is looking forward to this interview when it comes out. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I I'm I'm so prolific that I I it's only so long before I've got a new book and a new reason to uh, to get <laughs> to talk to you again. <laughs> well, it's great. Um, I've read a couple of your books, but I was. Um, a massive fan of the the marathon fueling one, um, so much so that I, I used your book and I really hammered down my fueling for my um, last marathon, not this year but the the year prior. And then I actually developed an iPhone app um, to help. It was the app I wish I had training for my marathon, and um, you right. know, a lot of the information and stuff. I have to give credit to you, um, nice. which which helped me out a lot. So. Uh, Anyways, that's uh, that's my background with <laughs> your material. That's but, great um, to know. Yeah. Um, so, can you just give the listeners a bit of a, a background on you and uh, where you grew up, education, and how you got into you know endurance sports and and, and become a writer? Sure. Uh, you know, my two big passions, I guess, are uh, writing and running, and I got them both from my father, um, who is a writer. That that's his job. So I grew up knowing that that was like. A normal thing, or at least seemed normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and same thing with the running. You know, my dad ran his first marathon in '83, which was you know during the original running boom. But still, my my dad was the the only dad I knew in among my friends or you know the neighborhood kids who who ran marathons. Um, so that seemed normal too. And you know, I I I thought, okay, well, I'll give that a try as well. And I had no coordination, you know, so any sport with a ball, I was no good at, but I was good at the running. So I've been running and, and riding really ever since I was 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, never really imagined putting the two things together, um, but uh, I moved, I, I went to college uh, in the Philadelphia area, and then for no particular reason, uh, a couple of years after graduating, moved to California and was just going to get the first writing job I could find. And it so happened that it was for a startup triathlon magazine, basically. Um, and that, you know, that door, that opportunity led to every subsequent opportunity. And, you know, I've been, I've been really on that path ever since. Did you grow up out east or? 
Yeah, I grew up in New Hampshire mainly. Our, our family bounced around a little bit, for, but really from first grade on, I was in New Hampshire. Okay. And then what about, um, you're, you've done a few triathlons as well, including an Ironman, is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a, a runner in high school, and then I was supposed to run in college. I picked my college largely because it had a good running program, but kind of <laughs> bur- burned out and wound up not running there, and then getting back into it, uh, I guess in my mid-20s. Um, and then th- that led into triathlon, and I was really into that for a, a number of years as well. Would sort of divide the year in halves and focus on running in one half of the year, and then multi-sport the the other half. But um, you know, I was always really a, a PR chaser. I guess it was my my track running pedigree, where I just was always trying to just be faster on the clock. And uh, you know, I'm just turned forty three, so all my PRs are behind me. So I, I still <laughs> I still work out a ton, but I don't race much anymore. Just it's just a lifestyle for for me now. But every now and then I'll stick my nose in something. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I'm the same. I, I just turned 40 this year. So, um, although that's funny, I did, I did, a, I wasn't like a, a crazy long distance runner growing up. I'd certainly played, you know, I was sort of the opposite. I was sort of the ball sport guy, um, that had good endurance, but wasn't like hang out, you know, with the cross country guys. But, um, I, uh, I managed to break my half marathon, uh, PR uh, a couple months ago. So, um, nice. be- because I wasn't a, a prolific runner, I guess, growing up. I might have a couple PBs maybe still left in me. We'll see. Yeah, you never want to just assume you don't, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's uh, – I want to focus the bulk of our chat about uh, – um, I mean, you've written how many books now, 15? Uh, it's more than that, but I actually have lost count. I, I couldn't tell you how many marathons I've run or how many books I've written. <laughs> I love it. Um, but we'll focus in on your latest book, which is um, entitled Diet Cults, A Surprising Fallacy at the Core of Nutrition Fads and a Guide to Healthy Eating for the Rest of Us. Um, and and I, I've read most of the book um, and I really, really loved it, really resonated with me. First of all, I guess, can you explain to the listeners what in your de- definition is a diet cult? Yeah, so the essence of it, um, by my definition, uh, a, a diet cult is any diet that is based on the false idea that there's a single ideal diet for humans. You know, if there's if someone comes up in a diet and uh, comes up with a diet, you know, that claims to be the best and no one follows follows it, I guess that doesn't qualify as a diet cult. There has to be sort of a community of like-minded believers mm-hmm. surrounding it, you know, a certain critical mass. But the the underlying essence is that that, you know, in that false belief that this diet is better than any other or even the only right way for anyone to eat. Yeah. And then um so how did you get the idea to write the book? So what was the Well in <clears throat> excuse me, in, in college I was an English major. You know, I was I was always I was always going to be a writer, but uh, I, I became very interested in sociology in, in college and almost minor, but well, I basically did minor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I only got into nutrition later through sports. Um, and, you know, it, it's something I'm very interested in, but when it comes down to it, you know, I tend to be more interested in the sociology of diet and nutrition than in the the biochemistry of it. Um I'm really I'm a soft science guy versus a a hard science guy. So you know I'm I'm out there. You know I am a certified sports nutritionist, and I I tell athletes what to eat for a living in a sense. Yeah. Um, 
And, and, you know, when you're in that sort of role, inevitably you're going to come into conflict with people with competing philosophies of diet. Um, and through that experience, I came to see that it's not just that people disagree about the facts, but that there's a fundamental irrationality uh, that it's almost like, you know, people are looking at diet through these moralistic and um, uh, identity tinted lenses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see very, very smart people saying incredibly dumb stuff about nutrition. And, you know, it's not a, not a word I use lightly, but irrational, you know, and, and I, it just, it, it really struck me that like, why isn't anyone talking about this, how people can't think straight about food? And so I, I thought, well, here's an opportunity. Maybe I'll be the guy <laughs> to, to, you know, Point at the three hundred pound elephant. I got that metaphor wrong, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, stir, just, stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So that that was the genesis of it. Yeah, I know. I like it. Um, and then, were, did you have any big surprises when you uh, you know when you started researching the book um, and and in the writing process? And when you finished the book, were there any big surprises that you know things that you were kind of like, huh, I didn't expect that, or I didn't expect to 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 feel that way, or. Yeah, so you know, I, I really had my thesis in place before I even started. You know, so I, I wasn't so much looking for an answer to a question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all my experience up to that point had had taught me that there that this diet cult phenomenon exists. Um, so my research was just about um, informing that that idea and you know, and fleshing it out. And I definitely, you know, when I write a book, I want it to transform me. I, I want to learn. So I, you know, and I also, I didn't just want to write, you know, the message of this book is fundamentally novel. You know, no one else has said this ever before, but I also wanted it, I wanted this book to be different, not just in its message, but in its form. You know, I, I wanted people to, you know, look at the the title and the subtitle and, and expect one thing and get another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and having read it, you can attest to it that I, I take readers on a, on this journey. Um, and there's definitely, you know, there's there's a, there, there's a, a tidy, well-defined mission that I'm on. But I take the reader in surprising places to explore different facets of this diet cults phenomenon. Well, as the writer of the book, I went on that journey myself. I mean... Just as a for example, you have this whole chapter about what the Lewis and Clark expedition ate, you know, during their two-year transcontinental journey, and you know, I didn't know any of that before before I started writing the book. So those kinds of discoveries, um, you know, I experienced before passing them on to readers to experience. And what's some of the feedback been from? Um, I, I like in in the book, sort of each chapter, you sort of highlight a. I guess a different individual or guru uh, within uh, that particular diet cult, for instance, you know, paleo or um, vegan or Atkins or whatever. Um, has there any, been any feedback from, I'm assuming there has been, from people within those uh, diet cult communities? Yeah, you know, overall, it's been, it's been pretty encouraging. I, you know, one thing I suspected from the get-go was that there's, uh, you know, you know the the real the real like bug eyed frothing mouthed uh, diet cult zealots you know who've just drunk the Kool Aid you know they're out there and they're they're loud but I don't think they're a majority you know I, I knew that from the beginning I felt like there was a silent majority of people who uh, had just more of like a balanced grounded perspective on on diet mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, since the book has been out more than a month, you know, that has been borne out in the responses I get. There are a lot of people out there who um, are just, you know, they, the, the whole agnostic healthy eating philosophy that I'm uh, advocating, it resonates with them. But what's been encouraging is that a lot of people who have, have chosen, um, you know, a particular quote unquote diet cult to follow, they kind of get it too. You know, they, they, they follow a particular diet, but that doesn't mean they've, they've really completely bought in to, to the most extreme version of the doctrine. So I've had, you know, vegans, you know, read the book and recommend it to, to others and, 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 you know, bodybuilders who have their, you know, kind of weird way of eating say, you know, this is a good book, you know, people, you know, people should read it. So th that, that has been really encouraging. You know, predictably there, you know, there are the bug eyed frothing mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're like, Oh, we were waiting for this. Yeah. They hate it. They, they hate it. And you know, it's funny. You know, <laughs> they'll say, you know, everything you said about all the other diets is true, but what you said about my diet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but it, you know, overall it's been, uh, it, it, it's been fun that the feedback has been, you know, because I really am a writer first and, and a quote unquote expert second. So, you know, I want to give people just a, a fun, you know, memorable reading experience. So when I get that kind of response, that is really what tickles my fancy more than anything else. Yeah, no, that's great. It definitely resonated with me. I mean, I don't, I guess I'm similar to you. I don't follow a particular diet per se. And I, you know, I am a runner. Um, you know, I definitely eat healthy. Um, and my wife uh, definitely likes to eat healthy as well. But um, yeah, this book really resonated with me because, you know, there is no one right way to eat. Um, you know, humans have definitely adapted and you go into uh, that in detail in your book. So um, as anyways, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good book, as you say, for, for all people, no matter what diet you follow. But uh, shifting gears a bit, um, or actually perhaps not shifting gears, uh, are diet <laughs> cults perhaps good for some people though in, in some ways? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that's, I mean, I, I didn't do this in order to surprise people, but that's one of the surprises I had planned for people. You know, I, I think most people, when they look at the title of the book and the cover, they, they'll assume that it's a chapter by chapter survey of popular diets where I trash each of them sequentially. You know, the paleo diet is bad for this reason. Veganism doesn't work for that reason. And that's not what I'm doing at all. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that most popular diets are perfectly healthy, or at least can be if you approach them in, in a careful manner. Um, and that, that's actually one of the first signs that none of them is, in fact, the only right way to eat, right? You know, you could, you could, you could try a, a version of paleo and get great results and then become a vegan and get great results because um, it's not as if everything. It's not as if anything goes with human nutrition. There are certain rules you can't break without paying consequences. But we are nature's ultimate omnivore. Um, we can eat in a variety of distinct ways and and be more or less equally healthy. That was kind of the point of the the Lewis and Clark chapter of the book, where you know o over the two years of that expedition, that crew of men ate in every conceivable way that humans could eat in 1805 and you know they were pretty much fine throughout that entire spectrum of different diets mm -hmm. and i'm assuming you're familiar with rich roll yes yeah the vegan um ultra endurance athlete uh for those out there um he, he actually he has a great book and i read his book and he he's a vegan and um 
he, although he's got an extreme personality, he's, um, he's a former alcoholic. He's you know, fully recovered, but he's got that type of extreme personality he talks about. So I, I see some of these sort of diet cults, as you say, um, working well for those type of people who are just extreme in their personality and they need those restrictions and guidelines to keep them in line. Yeah, it is, it is very much personality-based uh, in terms of uh, just being able to thrive on a restrictive diet and also in terms of which particular shtick appeals to you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, if you're male, you're much more likely to respond to uh, paleo versus veganism, uh, not to insinuate anything about rich, riches masculinity, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's usually some kind of, uh, uh appeal. Um, and it, it's not just personality, but it can also be, um, group based. So, you know, CrossFitters, if you get into CrossFit, you're inevitably going to end up eating on the paleo diet just because it's part of the overall culture, mm-hmm. you know, in all kinds of different ways, we, we tend to just eat like the people around us. We tend to uh, adopt the same beliefs about what is and what what is not a healthy way to eat just based on our milieu. Yeah, no, exactly. Talking about paleo, and I, I want to talk about a little bit here. Um, you, you spend a chunk of your book um, writing about paleo. Why do you think so many people resonate with it? it it's really that... Um, golden ageism for, for lack of a better term there's there's a very natural human tendency to view our time as being in a fallen state you know there was um there was paradise in the past and we've lost it mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's all gone wrong um you know people have been talking that way for as long as recorded history <laughs> has existed yeah <laughs> we've always felt like oh man the generation before ours had it great and then our generation doesn't um, so, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, the, the version of the paleo diet we're familiar with now is kind of a second generation paleo diet. There was a guy named Walter Voigtlin who created the original. Was, he wrote a book called the stone age diet diet in the mid seventies. And of course that was when the, the whole obesity epidemic was really, uh, gaining momentum in the U S Canada, I suppose elsewhere. Um, so in that sense, dietetically, we, we really had kind of lost our way with, you know, too much fast food and too many soft drinks. So it was inevitable that someone would get that idea, you know, given the, the natural kind of golden age perspective that, that most people are susceptible to. So this guy, Walter Votlin thought, okay, you know, people should eat in a more natural way. We don't eat naturally enough anymore. And he just took that idea to the kind of the ultimate extreme, mm-hmm. not, not that, you know, the way we ate in 1827 was good enough. And, you know, the way we eat in 1975 is no longer that good. But, you know, his idea was the way we ate in 10,000 BC was good enough and nothing else has been good enough since then. He was just flat wrong about that. You know, the the way the average person ate in any culture in 1827 was was good enough. We really did only start to lose our way far after that. And it's funny, you know, I have a chapter in the book about the raw food diet and that the origins of the raw food diet go back to the 19th century. So it's much older than the paleo thing, but it was exactly the same outlook that informed that diet. The the raw diet came out shortly after, you know, Darwin came out with his theory of natural selection. 
And that influenced people who cared about diet back in the 19th century. So you had this guy named Maximilian Bircher Benner, the guy who actually invented muesli. His thought was, okay, well, if humans are just animals and all animals besides us eat only raw food, then humans should only eat raw food. So it's exactly the same philosophy. He just had a different spin on it than yeah. the later paleo crowd did. Yeah, I know exactly. Those are those are great examples. Yeah, the, the paleo, I mean, you can't go anywhere without hearing people talking about paleo and how we've got this genetic code. And, um, you know, like you, you talk about in the book, you know, our, our genes adapt. We're, you know, the most adaptable and omnivore person or people on the planet. So like that, that's, you know, you can see why people resonated with, but it's, uh, it's definitely flawed in my opinion as well. Well, it's really based on a, an outdated um, model of, of evolution. You know, the, the, if you're like a Darwinian fundamentalist and you think that, you know, Darwin himself figured it all out and we haven't learned anything since then, then your idea is that evolution operates at this glacial pace. And it depends completely on random genetic mutations turning out to be favorable when, you know, circumstances change. For example, you add a new food to your diet. So, you know, the idea is that if that, that you that this genetic leash we're on is like really, really short and we're just not adaptable at all. And we only adapt when a novel genetic mutation occurs and then overtakes the species because there's a survival advantage associated with it. Well, that whole model has just completely broken down. It has no, I mean, that is certainly uh, a piece of the puzzle, but now we understand that there are all these epigenetic mechanisms that allow us to adapt to changes our environment simply based on turning on and turning off genes that already exist within us. So, for example, uh, one, one of the ways that humans have quote-unquote evolved a lot just within the last hundred years is that we've all gotten a lot taller. Well, that is really based almost entirely on epigenetic adaptation. So it hasn't required um, any new mutations to occur, mm -hmm. it, and it's, it's been able to happen very, very quickly. And there, there are even other mechanisms uh, besides the, the epigenetic one that allow species to adapt to changes in diet even faster than that. Literally, in, in the space of three or four days, uh, new research is showing that humans can adapt to drastic changes in diet. Um, so, you know, just you know, this idea that, as Lauren Cordain said in, in his book, uh, the, the paleo diet, uh, that, you know, there's only been 333 generations since the agricultural revolution. And that's not nearly enough time for us to have, you know, adapted to the foods that have been introduced mm -hmm. since then. That's just, it's just not true at yeah. all. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, that's so interesting. I, I love that uh, aspect of your book. And, um, you know, definitely recommend people ch uh, checking that uh, section out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a massive topic. But the fact that, yeah, you know, over millions and millions of years that, you know, we're the smartest uh, animals on the planet. And the fact uh, that people think that we, we can't adapt um, over the course of the, all that time, then <laughs> it seems flawed to me. Well, the irony is that that's all we've ever done as yeah. a species. And in fact, it almost defines us. You know, the reason we're not chimpanzees is because we went out of our way to change our diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that is where the split occurred. So I don't know. I just have this picture of Lauren Cordain going back to that crucial moment where a, a chimpanzee left the trees and decided to, you know, make a go of it on the ground. 
and you know Lauren Cordain saying, "No, no, don't do it. You're making a terrible mistake." You know, that's it's silly, but that's the point. It's silly. <laughs> you yeah. know, er- everything we are, you know, civilization itself is dependent on on the fact that, you know, humans like to mess with their food. That is what we are at, at our deepest essence as a species. That is what we are and that's what we do. That doesn't mean that every way we choose to mess with our food is good. Um, but you know, you can't, there's no going back, you know, it's only forward. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, um, shift gears a little bit and let's talk about weight loss because I, you know, I really like that section in your book as well. And, um, I think this is where, especially now, a lot of people get fused, confused with the messages being put out there by the media and different, uh, research and, and twists on research is, um, you know, one minute they're told to exercise and the next minute they're told exercise sucks for losing weight. So, you know, if a good friend comes to you and wants to, wants your best advice on helping them lose 40 pounds, what do you say to them? Well, I guess there are two answers to that. Um, you know, one is, um, you know, I'm happy to give, you know, nuts and bolts advice to, <laughs> to anyone who, who's interested in losing weight. Um, but also, you know, uh, sort of a, a big picture message that uh, I, uh, like to deliver if there's an opportunity is that weight loss is all about motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're trapped in this mindset where we think it's all about knowledge that, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, magic formula. There's, there's one way to lose weight that really works and a million and one ways that don't. Um, and it's all about, you know, just discovering that one way that really works. And then motivation is completely unnecessary because it just works and nothing could be further from, from the truth. The, the truth is, that nothing could be simpler than the how of, of losing weight. I give the example in the book of a guy who just stopped eating lunch. You know, he didn't know anything about nutrition, really. He was a physicist. Um, so he thought, well, I eat 600 some odd calories in, in my lunch. So if I just eliminate that, I should lose 30 pounds in a month. Mm-hmm. And he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but who, you know, how many people besides that guy actually has the motivation to do it? Um, so you know, you know, and, and again, the research shows that if you look at people who've actually succeeded in losing large amounts of weight and keeping it off, there's no consistent pattern whatsoever in terms of the diets they choose. You know, I'm talking about real world success. People are all over the map. Some people do it on their own. Some people do it in group environments. Some people do it with liquid diets. Some people do it as on high fat diets. Some people do it on, uh, you know, Whatever you know, you you name it, it, it can be successful. the 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 key is: Are you determined to succeed? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you truly are, you will. And if you're not, if you're you know, if you're anything less than uh, you know, fully committed, uh, then it doesn't matter which diet you choose, you're going to fail. Yeah. And what do you say with the, regards to the exercise aspect? Um, you know, I know you can, you can probably lose weight on just diet alone. You can lose weight on just exercise alone. Um, but is it best to use a combination of both? Well, if your goal is to, um, ping pong back and forth within like a 30 pound, depends how much weight you have to lose, but let's say you're 30 pounds overweight. So Mm -hmm. if your goal is to lose 30 pounds, gain it back, lose it again, gain it back, lose it again, gain it back, then you can do that without exercise. What you simply cannot do without exercise is lose those 30 pounds and keep them off. So, you know, people, you know, 
we only have ourselves to blame to a certain degree for a lot of the the magic wand you know types of diets that are out there because we we want to be fooled you know we want to be told that it's easier than than it actually is so when you have all these diets say that oh if you just follow these six rules you can lose weight without exercise um it's not true <laughs> i mean yeah. you can you can lose the weight but you cannot lose it permanently um so you need to exercise you, you absolutely do it's it's true to an extent that um that dietary changes are more effective uh in promoting initial weight loss than exercise alone um but again uh, pretty much no one succeeds in maintaining permanent weight loss unless they exercise and exercise a lot. Also, there are, as I point out in the book, a lot of people like me who actually do lose a lot of weight uh, without changing their diet through exercise alone. I, I lost about 60 pounds. I, I actually was fat once. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that. I, I read that in the book and I've seen pictures of you and there's all these pictures of you running and doing triathlons and like I cannot picture that body with another 60 pounds on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I uh, those those pictures exist too. <laughs> but you know, I all I did was uh, you know I was lifting weights at the time, and I just decided to do a triathlon, and boom, lost, lost sixty pounds. And I I didn't change what I ate, and in fact, I ate more. Um, and that's what the that's the problem with the, the science. You know, the studies that uh, that claim to prove that exercise is ineffective for weight loss. If you look at the numbers, they're barely doing anything. It, you know, just the, the numbers of calories they're burning through exercise through exercise in a week. I do that in a day, or probably even in my morning workout. <laughs> yeah. In, in in one day, you know what I mean. So it it does. To you have to be willing to exercise a lot. Um, but what's wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I love it, but again, you know, that's another beast of a topic. But yep. <laughs> you gotta, you know, you gotta, as you say, for for losing weight, you gotta have the motivation, and you gotta exercise, and you gotta make it a, a habit as well. Which um, that's a big battle. Um, listen, I've got a lot of runners that listen to this podcast, so let's talk a minute about fueling for performance. And again, there's lots of chatter right now about, um, you know, eating fat, being fat adapted, not. Burning sugar, all this, um, all this talk in the the running community, and why is this line of thinking flawed in your opinion? I mean, I know you've written a whole book on this, so don't go into too much detail, but um, maybe give the listeners just a, just a little bit because I know again, there's a lot of people in the endurance community wondering, oh, should I not be, you know, sucking back uh, goo gels and Gatorade anymore? Yeah, there are a few things that uh, I'd like to get off my chest on that topic. One is the whole idea that. Um, you know, we should burn as much fat and as little carbohydrate as, as possible as endurance athletes is based on uh, the belief that carbohydrate is somehow inherently bad and this rather novel idea that fat is, in, is inherently good. Um, so it's not really based on, you know, what is proven to work either in the laboratory or in the real world. It's just based on like an ideology, just like carbs are bad. Let's see how we can just eliminate them from our lives as, as runners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's really kind of a shoddy way <laughs> to proceed, you know, especially when it actually matters. I mean, a, a lot of these nutrition debates amount to navel gazing because precisely because a lot of things can work. 
But when it comes to performance and, you know, you care about every second, you know, then you can start to really pay a price for just proceeding based on first principles that are, you know, sort of value-based and, and, and not uh, empirically based. Um, so that's the first thing to understand. It's like carbs are not bad. Fat is not good. They're both good and bad. You know, they just do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to understand is that, you know, I mean, there's just an avalanche of research uh, demonstrating the performance-enhancing effects of uh, you know high carbohydrate high, high carbohydrate diets and also the use of you know uh, ergogenic aids that contain carbs um, you know in training and competition. So I mean you know, geez, Louise, you know there's there's not there's a lot of that and there's not a lot you know showing the inverse that that low carb high fat is the way to go. Um, so, I mean, if, I, I don't know, you've only got one life, you know, you can only be one athlete. Do you really want to, to make that experiment, you know, to hope based on your ideological position on carbohydrate that, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to just drop the carbs and, and hope for the best, especially considering this is the third piece that, um, virtually every Olympic level endurance athlete in the world is on a high, high carb diet. And, you know, this, this annoys me to no end. Same, same thing with the people who are all about, like, high-intensity training and, and avoid junk miles. They, they look at the world's greatest endurance athletes who aren't just the greatest now. They're the greatest ever. You know, there's this been this evolutionary process, this trial and error where, where things that don't work have been weeded out. Um, and that's true on the level of training. You cannot go to the, to the Olympics as a runner in 2012 or 2016 by training wrong (laughs) and yet you'll have these clowns you know most of whom come to the sport rather late they didn't run in high school they didn't run in college they were usually lifting weights at that time and then they decide they look at you know the world's greatest runners and they're like you're doing it wrong you have no idea what you're doing (laughs) like really and now they're doing the same thing with diet they're like you know it's like man i you know congratulations you just won the boston marathon but you did it wrong <laughs> yeah exactly you're the best in the world but uh, you're not that good if only you had eaten you know 60 percent fat and 20 percent protein imagine you would have won by 27 minutes and, and run the first sub two hour marathon. <laughs> well what what happened you think with the line of thinking with um dr timothy noakes who um, for listeners, is I guess a very well-respected and world-renowned uh, exercise scientist based in South Africa. It, uh, it seems like he totally changed his tune, and he actually recommends people rip pages out of his old um, 1985 book, The Lore of Running. Yeah, that, that's a weird one. I go back a ways with with Tim Noakes. Um, you know, I I have the greatest esteem for him. Um, you know, he's he's changed the game on, on a lot of things for a long time. Um, but I, I don't know what's going on with it. It's not so much that, again, you know, you know, I'm sure that the diet he's promoting, or at least a version of it, can be perfectly healthy. I, I don't want to savage, you know, the, 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 the diet that he's championing at, at this point, but it's, it's how he's doing it. And, and the really kind of uh, for lack of a better word, unscientific way he's he's communicating. Um, it, it it's troubling to me. I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. It's really the, the, the Tim Noakes I'm following on Twitter now um, is is not, not the Tim Noakes I, I thought I knew. You know I um, 
So I, I don't really have a good answer to that, but it, you know, it does. It's just another example, as I say in the book, because I, I do mention him there that you you cannot be too smart or too knowledgeable to fall for a diet cult. We're all susceptible. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, obviously, you know, well, you know him personally and know the background a lot more than than myself, but. You know, I certainly do a lot of reading and his name comes up all the time as, um, you know, recommended um, reading and research and articles and so forth. And then lately, this is all I've been hearing about how he's changed his tune. And yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that because um, to me, yeah, I feel like you, you don't see that that often where people really go back on, you know, years of advice and go back and say, actually, you know what? I was, I was wrong. You should, you should do this. I mean, in a way it's kind of refreshing, but yeah, you just sort of wonder where it all came from. Yeah, th- that that piece. I again, I, I have nothing but respect for the willingness to change your mind because that's really not a classic diet cult characteristic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just you, it, your beliefs are articles of faith, and you know, you no matter what evidence is presented to you, you don't change your mind. But the thing is, you know, that willingness to change one's mind—that was the old Tim Noakes. That that. That he that was the guy who changed his mind about carbs, but now he's become a guy who I can't imagine him, you know, ever changing his mind. You know, it's like, you know, if if some study comes out that appears to you know challenge his current beliefs, he'll reflexively just savage the credibility of the researchers who did it. You know, I think at times without knowing the first thing about them, it's like, oh, they're just toadies of the grain industry or something. It's like you know, really, that's slanderous. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I, I re- that's deeply troubling to me. Um, just, you know, some of the, you know, the, the ad hominem attacks on, on people's integrity, um, you know, the double standard about, uh, you know, if, if someone says something he likes, he'll, he'll make sure to say, oh, and he's at Harvard. But if someone from Harvard says something he doesn't like, he says, see, you just cannot trust you know, the, you know, the group think, um, uh, you know, of the big institutions these days, it's like, which is it? Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. Well, well with all that said, um, what is the diet that you recommend or some strategies that listeners can implement to, to improve their eating, um, using this sort of agnostic approach that you recommend? Right. So first thing is if you love your current diet, I am not trying to change it. Um, and again, that, that is a crucial, it's worth stating because the, the diet cult folks don't care. You know, if no matter how, no matter how good the results you're getting on your current diet, if it's not their diet, they want you to start over. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. Um, I, I'm trying to offer something for people who want to eat healthy, but also want to eat for pleasure uh, want to eat in a way that is consistent with kind of what's familiar to them culturally, um, and people who are perhaps turned off by um, you know the the arbitrariness of some of the diet cult rules, or you know the sanctimoniousness of uh, you know their the way they kind of preach their dogma or whatever. I'm one of those people. You know, I, I want to eat healthy, but I just cannot hold my nose and drink the Gatorade. A uh, Gatorade. That's good. Good for you <laughs> there. <laughs> drink the Kool-Aid of, of any diet cult. So agnostic healthy eating is just, it's really just based on mainstream nutrition science. And, you know, that stuff has always been out there. And yes, mainstream nutrition scientists have been wrong about things in the past. Um, but more or less, you know, the, the guys at Harvard, um, you know, 
this discipline has been around long enough where we know a thing or two. Um, you know, we know that eating vegetables is good, for example. We know that eating a, a lot of fried food is bad. Basic stuff like that. Um, you know, the reason that, you know, these, the various formulations of these mainstream guidelines haven't really caught on is because I think they lack some of the virtues of the diet cults. What, the thing I like about the diet cults is that they, they motivate people to eat, to eat healthy. They create a sense of, of, you know, belief is powerful. So, yeah. you know, if you believe that you've discovered the one true way to eat, you know, that could be the thing. It's not the diet itself. It's just that that belief that motivates you and also the community. You get to join a community of people who are eating like you, who believe what you believe. So I wanted to take, um, you know, this kind of uh, middle of the road, truly science-backed set of um, guidelines about, you know, what you can and can't get away with mm -hmm. if you want to be healthy um, and just make them sexier, basically just make the whole thing stickier. I, I felt like this thing needs a, a name and, you know, I, I just felt like agnostic healthy eating kind of captures the essence of it, and uh, hopefully it's the kind of thing that could gain currency. And if uh, enough people sit, uh, if, uh, if enough people come to see themselves as agnostic healthy eaters, then people who are currently not eating all that healthy but want to, and are turned off by the diet cults, they will see a visible alternative in agnostic healthy eating. And you know, there are plenty of people out there who eat that way already, and it's not just, you know, I say eat that way, but it's actually, you can eat kind of all kinds of different ways and be an agnostic healthy eater, um, but, you know, they don't see themselves that way. You know, the cohort that I talk about in the book is elite endurance athletes. You know, I, one of the cool things I get to do in, in my job is to ask the world's best endurance athletes what they eat, and the vast, vast majority of them uh are, are agnostic healthy eaters. They don't, they're not gluten-free or, or, or vegan or, or high fat or, or you, you name it. They just eat like, you know, if it's an Ethiopian runner, they eat like an Ethiopian. If it's a British cyclist, they eat like a, a Brit. Uh, but they, they maintain very, very high quality standards for their, their culturally familiar diet. So, um, yeah, I just want to attach a, a label to that, make the whole thing more visible so that, you know, people could find it, you know, if they're not attracted to diet cults. Yeah, no, it's great. So, you know, people don't need to be afraid of potatoes or rice or, you know, if you eat a bagel in the morning, you know, go for it, eat your bagel. But, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to eat a healthy diet. Right. I like it. Just before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, get, get your thoughts that there's, I mean, there's lots of cults beyond just, um, just nutrition, you know, in the health and fitness. Uh, is there any other sort of cults out there, phenomenons such as a barefoot running that sort of catch your attention and perhaps, you know, maybe a topic of a future book? Uh, yeah, it's funny you ask, Mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, uh, my next book, which comes out in September, is called 80-20 Running. Um, and 80-20 means that as a runner, you should do 80% of your training at low intensity, 20, uh, yeah, 20% at moderate to, to high intensities, of course, you have a lot of people, and, and they're often the very same people who are promoting the high-fat diets or that sort of thing. That They're promoting uh, like an intensity, high-intensity-based approach to, to training as a runner or like a, a strength-based approach or a technique-based approach. All these things that elite athletes don't do. <laughs> yeah, it's like run a marathon but only train, you know, only run 20 kilometers per week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so again, as, as I referred to before, it's this idea that 
They, they look at the best runners in the world and say, you're clueless. You have no idea what you're doing. You're doing it all wrong. Mm-hmm. I, who did not run in high school or college, but I studied some uh, physical therapy, uh, you know, <laughs> I got a master's degree in physical therapy or whatever, you know, like that qualifies me to say that, you know, we need, we need to hit the reset button and all train like bodybuilders for running or, you know, it's just, it's an, it's annoying. Um, and it's really doing a, a big disservice to, to runners who, you know, if you, if you ran at a high level in high school and college, you, you got the full Lydiard indoctrination, you know, what works, you know, and you know, there's no elite athlete out there. It's not because they're, they're afraid to try new things. They're, they're very ready to try new things. They just won't try something that seems stupid and that defies all of their experience. So, you know, you're not going to see any elite who, who say, you know, just quit, uh, you know, the, the, um, say they're coached by Alberto Salazar and say, forget you, Alberto, I'm joining CrossFit Endurance. Like this take me to, that's just not going to happen. But you've got a lot of, you know, runners who started as adults and didn't get that proper indoctrination who are being fooled. You know, they don't, they don't know, you know, and that's, so 80-20 running is really designed to uh, just, you know, stop the madness, say, you know, time out. Okay. Um, just to really champion what what we know works, and what's cool is, um, you know, in the real world, high level coaches and runners have known this since the 1960s. But finally, we're really getting some some solid scientific research that's just proving it beyond a shadow of a, do- a doubt. You know, so this book is really designed to just be the last word to end the argument and to leave you know all the people who train runners with high intensity interval training and little volume to have to look for other jobs. <laughs> I like it. Well, we look forward to um, seeing that book. So you say the um, September of this year? Yeah. The uh, September 2nd is the official pub date for that one. Perfect. So we'll uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, so before um, we, we close off here, um, because I'm a big fan of your work and your books, I, I want to give away a couple copies of your book, your recent book. Diet cults to two listeners. Um, if you're listening, we're gonna. I'll, I'll do the draw. If you enter your name uh, over at healthynomics.com/slash sixteen, enter a comment at the bottom of the blog post there. Uh, if you want, uh, you know, ask a question, question, or just put any comment in there um, or your thoughts on the interview. Uh, enter your comment before July eleventh, twenty fourteen, and uh, I'll send you uh, a copy of uh, Matt's book, Should You Be the Winner? Awesome. So Matt, where can people stay in touch with you, um, with what you're up to um, online? Are you, are you on Twitter, Facebook? Uh, where, are you, where You have a website. Where are you at? Yeah, my, my website is mattfitzgerald.org and my Twitter handle is at mattfitwriter. Perfect. So I'll put uh, make sure I put links to those in the show notes. Listen, Matt, thanks very much for your time and expertise, and uh, we wish you all the best. I enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Nomics Podcast at www.healthynomics.com.